good afternoon, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Medical Alley podcast. I'm so pleased that you've joined us today and you're spending a little bit of time with us. I've got a really fun guest on today. I've got Brian Callis from Accenture. He's the managing director of digital health and innovation within their healthcare group. And I'm just, I'm really pleased that we're getting a chance to have a discussion today. Brian, thanks for being on board with us today. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks, Frank. Uh, appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. Well, so the, the first question is always, you know, Brian, who are you? And tell us a little bit about yourself and about your work at Accenture. Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, so Brian Callis, um, I'm part of Accenture's healthcare practice, uh, where I lead our digital health and innovation offerings. Uh, with that, you know, that really is focused on helping health plans, health systems, and other health services companies uh, with growth, whether that's new ways to finance care, new ways to deliver care, or new products and services. I also, you know, live here in Medical Alley, uh, based out of the Prior Lake area. Fantastic, and a great place to be. No surprise, right, 2020 has been a heck of a year, and there's all kinds of things we could talk about in there, but the thing I'm really interested in, it seems like for the last 10 or 20 years, even we've talked about healthcare transforming and really changing the business model of health, whether it's value-based care, ACOs, all kinds of things. And then 2020 happens, and we've heard from a lot of people that healthcare transformed. I'd be curious your perspective, like what's happened this year and how, how significant of a change is it? And is this something we should expect to to be sustained and to continue? Yeah, I, I think the what happened this year, I, I think it could be summarized as the, you know, the usual phrase of necessity being the mother of invention. Basically, what you had is collective displacement. So as a society, you know, we were all displaced from traditional routines and so forth. And that ultimately led to forced adoption of new ways of uh, delivering care and receiving care. That made a lot of, you know, new ways of doing things that we had talked about for years move from interesting to important, just out of a necessity of keeping people safe and in their homes and at a distance. And, and I think we've all had that experience, even in simpler things like doing Zoom video calls instead of in-person meetings. What's been, the, as you talk with your clients, the reception to this, it's become necessity, they've had to do it now that they've done it. Is it easier than they thought, better than they thought, worse than they thought? Do you, will they continue with some of these changes post? Yeah, I mean, a couple things. So if I go with the consumer side, you know, you saw mass uptake of use of people using technology for their health and healthcare, whether it was intelligent symptom checkers to figure out, you know, what's wrong with me and is it serious? Um, or, you know, synchronous and asynchronous telehealth and other forms to receive care. Um, many of them had stated that, you know, they really liked the experience. Um, it was, it provided certain convenience that um, they hadn't experienced before. This kind of required out of necessity, they started to use those digital solutions and really a majority of people like them. Um, the same on the clinician side, you know, clinician adoption was always a challenge of why should you operate in this new way? Well, out of necessity to connect with um, patients, the, you know, technology became a key way to do so. Uh, and on the same side, many of them were, hey, this isn't half bad. Now, you also asked the question, well, what hasn't happened? Or, you know, what do we do from here? A lot of the technology 
that was deployed was out of necessity was done fast and done quick. So it has a lot of fragmentation. Um, it wasn't the best experience. A lot of it was disconnected from the core system. It was bad for not as ideal for patients as well as not as ideal for clinicians. So what still, I would say what needs to happen are the structural changes to sustain that adoption. Um, and you're seeing that as adoption starts to dip, I'd say the positive sign is that leaders of many healthcare organizations realize that and, mm-hmm. you know, are accelerating, you know, the moves to make those structural changes. That's a really good point that, yeah, we, we had to do these things. So we used the tools that were at hand, but we didn't necessarily build the systems optimized to do them because we had such a short time frame. maybe related to that. And we've seen the systems, the providers, the payers, technology companies making those investments. We've also seen the public side with like CMS, less loosening up on rules, things like that. Um, are there areas where you're concerned we might backslide as far as the policy side when the public health emergency expires? And what sort of things do we need to make sure we're keeping in place to sustain that momentum? Yeah, no, that's a great point, Frank. I mean, the concept of regulatory relief, you know, allowing um, providers to operate across state lines through telehealth, payment parity related to and reimbursement for telehealth services, the ability uh, without having to be, you know, have an in-person visit for the first encounter, all the changes related to both the licensing aspect and the payment aspect are key things that need to sustain for these changes to kind of endure. If they roll back, you know, the incentives aren't aligned to keep uh, really thinking about how can we deliver care agnostic of location um, in the best way possible. I mean, does those sorts of changes, do you think, do they start to change the competitive dynamic in healthcare? Like, I think we've, we've long thought of, especially care delivery as being site specific, which also meant tied to a geography, right? I, I don't go to a doctor that's in another state because I couldn't drive to the clinic. Um, do the market con- does the market competition change as a result? And is that for your clients, are they thinking about those issues concerned or see opportunities in those? Yeah, I think uh, you see both opportunity and concern. Um, mm-hmm. And to your first question of does it change the competitive landscape? Yes, it definitely does. Or shall I say, there's the assumption that it will if it's sustained. So there's a lot of moves being in place of, well, what do we do um, if, if those particular um, changes persist? If you think about this, you know, healthcare delivery specifically is primarily local and highly local. That also created some competitive moats. You didn't have a fear that a system from the East Coast was going to compete with you in Minnesota or the Midwest or you know, some other region. But in a world where those boundaries drop, and you can have, um, you know, virtual consults from any provider in the world, um, or at least in any state. You start the, some of those barriers start to drop. Now it's not for everything, but you know, for a number of different services, um, people will increasingly have more choice. And you're starting to see that as virtual only services start to emerge, that provide both virtual primary care, virtual specialty care, as well as remote monitoring. Um, and you're starting to see acquisitions drive some of those things to grow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that virtual only is, is quite a development because we've, we've been an industry that's so physical and space dependent. You know, 
telemedicine probably has been the, the biggest story, it seems, that we've told the most. Are there changes that have happened that you think are, are quite significant but don't get talked about as much or kind of are the like the missed stories in this? Yeah, I think I believe the, the story that get, isn't getting enough attention but is happening, um, and we've started to allude to this, is broader care model transformation. As we've moved, as we've started to, as, as people have gotten more comfortable receiving care at home or on the go using technology, as clinicians have become more comfortable providing care in that way, you're now starting to see location agnostic care being a key model. Often that's tech enabled, but it also, also isn't just about the technology. It also is a change of the care team. So mm-hmm. it, that allows the opportunity to think of how do we actually have different people, social workers, behavioral health specialists, et cetera, as part of the team, as well as the, the consumer and informal caregivers as well. Those models were happening prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. Now they're accelerating and being seriously considered as part of true transformation versus just an interesting proof of concept or pilot. Oh, very interesting. I mean, I, I think within that, something you said that there's this idea that we as the patient or consumers getting more comfortable with it changes what's possible and acceptable. And it, it sort of makes me think everyone may remember the Jerry Seinfeld, like I think it was Visa debit card commercial uh, from 20 years ago and how it was hard to think of paying for something with the card, this cheap as gas, and then the rise of e-commerce and these things became more normal over time and new business models emerged and healthcare seems to be reaching that point. But a teeny little thing in that, and I, this is more of maybe an opinion thing I'd asked of you. We sometimes say patient, we sometimes say consumer, we talk about consumerism in healthcare. Is there a better term or what, what term do you use more now? Yeah, I, I think you're alluding to an important point and that's also the importance of language. Um, you also missed member. So often you have patient member consumer. Um, and we've had some clients who have used all three when talking transformation, it's well to serve our patient member consumers. It's a tough one to grapple with because you're trying to also deal with culture and what resonates with an internal organization as well as people outside. At the simplest level, you know, when we can, we like to just refer to people. So how do we provide care for people? Um, and that can often include uh, you know, the end person receiving care or also workers and clinicians who are delivering care. Now, that can sometimes be too much of a shorthand. So what we've seen a number of uh, health systems and health plans start to use is blending both consumer and patient, but using it in context. So consumer being for those moments in a journey where you have choice and then patient being when you have no choice, uh, often when you're, you know, in an acute setting or things like that and trying to blend the context of that, that setting of which state you're in. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. And I feel bad for forgetting members since we're a membership based association Maybe we'll coin a new acronym, uh, PMC, being an industry that loves acronyms for patient member and consumer. Um, on that insurance side, there's also been just a, a ton of innovation, whether in the employer market, the self-insured market, ICRA's coming out, uh, all kinds of just new developments in the space. What are, what are some of the things that you guys are watching on the insurance side of the healthcare world? 
Yeah, I think it's uh, really exciting to see the shifts. And in particular, a lot of this innovation is coming out of Minnesota and Medical Alley in general. So we talked a lot about new care model innovation. The other area you heard me in my intro of new, new ways to finance care. And really that's critical to try to drive the change that we're looking for to both reduce cost or at least contain cost and improve outcomes. So, you know, you have the like of personalized health benefits from, you know, bind locally as one example. Um, you have bright health, you know, partnering very closely with health systems and regions, you know, starting an individual market, but now expanding into Medicare advantage and small group. We're also seeing, you know, in next gen TPAs start to enter the market as well mm -hmm. that are kind of trying to provide um, solutions to small group to contain cost. And many of them are moving down markets. So whereas some of those solutions were, you know, in the, you know, couple hundred to thousand employee plans, they're moving even further down to 50 to 200. And they're blending things like better service. So concierge care, often a direct primary care component and a new way of thinking of network. So I'd say the most exciting thing is we're seeing a lot of this innovation, both from emerging and growth businesses, but now we're also seeing the change happen from um, traditional incumbents. Um, there are a number of new benefit structures, you know, coming out of both the national health plans, as well as um, Blue Cross plans across the country. Increasingly, you're seeing a blending to some degree of care delivery, specifically primary care with a financing mm -hmm. component. Um, as a way to contain cost. So we're watching those closely. Yeah, that's a really good point, that that blending of care. And it, I'm curious on the, the incumbent side of things, does it, they, they've always could have done that, but the, there's this accelerated pace of activity. Is that one of the, you know, call it benefit consequences of the pandemic, this like almost mental space to try these new things? Or is it we're feeling the work that they've been doing for a long time and it's really starting to make an impact now. Yeah, so many of these changes were happening prior to COVID and specifically with health plan benefits, you know, the product creation to when you get it approved from a regulator and when you can get it into the market is a long cycle. Um, I will state things that may have been interesting in, in the realm of should we explore it move from yes, we should, uh, uh you know, in response to COVID. So I think that's where you see a lot of that activity um, coming to play. I also think a lot of the market experiments from new entrants are, are growing and scaling across the country and going in different markets, prompting kind of a desire to change. So that's a competitive side, but even, you know, the customers of plans are demanding change. So you're seeing increased pressure from uh, individuals, uh, both in the individual market and Medicare Advantage as well as within um, the employer market, which, you know, kind of got to a point that, you know, plans were saying, okay, we got to do something fundamentally different versus maybe incremental on the traditional benefit. Oh, interesting. And, you know, so what about then like non-traditional parties that are coming in? I think of like Best Buy and Senior Care, Amazon with their announcement just the other day, we're recording this on December 18th, uh, very recent news. Lots of so-called non-healthcare companies coming into the space. What do you think that does to the to the marketplace and to the pace of innovation? Yeah, I think what it it's it's a, just another competitive demand uh, or dynamic that is accelerating innovation, both in new care model innovation as well as new ways to finance care. And as more of those experiments and kind of activities happen from different actors in the system, that's just increase 
kind of the pressure. And if you go with, well, what do many non-traditional entrants bring? You know, there's a focus on uh, the consumer first, as we mentioned, or people and what are their ne understanding their wants and needs first and using that to, to deliver service. There's also then a heavy focus on the use of technology and artificial intelligence, leveraging large data sets, as well as strengths in logistics. So those are pretty powerful types of capabilities that try to get people closer to the last, you know, there's the last mile that's often the last six feet, you know, to people's homes um, where this starts to come into play. I, I like that. Yeah. And logistics, it's the last mile issue and healthcare, it's the last six feet. Yep. Um, you know, so speaking of the innovation side, one of the, I think at least really unique things about the work that Centra does in healthcare is the, the innovation and the startup work that you guys do. Could you talk a little bit about you know, the, the approach that Centra's taken working with startup companies and, you know, where some of that's come from? Yeah. So for a number of years and just part of our core business of what we're doing is we're always looking for what's next. You know, what are new and novel ways um, that are being explored to create value in the healthcare sector and solve some of those problems? So a big part of that is connecting with the companies that are trying to solve that problem. And our aim is to do so to connect them with, you know, our clients, you know, to bridge the connection of the startup community with health systems, with health plans, with non-traditional entrants, really as a way to create those collaborations to help move um, the industry forward and ultimately improve, you know, care care for people's lives, both end consumers as well as clinicians. So that comes in different forms. That comes with working with those companies to provide, you know, perspectives on well, what are we seeing in terms of health system needs and health plan needs, as an example, kind of a reverse pitch concept and sharing that back, um, coaching and guide, guidance related to business models given the uniqueness of healthcare. Ultimately, it's, it's a bit of the all of us better together need to connect and collaborate to try to um, make this change happen. You know, very similar to goals of Medical Alley. It's how do we all come together to collaborate to um, improve care for people? Yeah, and, and it seems like because of that broad perspective that you guys have working with so many different healthcare entities, like that I can say from the work we do with startups is just such valuable knowledge and insight because often they have a view into some of the established companies, but it's narrow. It's maybe one organization. They, they don't have that full breadth um, to, to build the right sort of product, build the right relationships. It's, I, I really do think it's a unique offering that makes both sides better and more productive. Yeah. And a, a big part of that is just connecting ecosystems too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a strong company that gets, you know, born in Medical Alley and in this area um, can benefit from connecting outside of Medical Alley to understand what, you know, does it, does it have product market fit in other regions? Does it fit? And vice versa, there are solutions, you know, born in other regions that really could benefit from coming here to see, can that model actually replicate and scale outside of um, a given region? And comparing those notes really help, you know, all those companies help the systems and all of us try to make those improvements. Yeah, and I know I've seen you guys do a lot of that kind of work of bringing companies across markets. You have a partnership with Rock Health. There's the work you're doing with like the Mayo Clinic Innovation Exchange and the Florida campus. Uh, it, it's right on that like what gets born here, born somewhere else needs that broader perspective. I, I'm curious, you know, the 
we've seen this huge flood of investment into healthcare startups. Clearly, there's a ton of interest in healthcare with the non-traditional incumbents coming in. When you're talking with some of these companies, what are the what are the two or three key things you're counseling them on to like not forget when they're coming to do a work with a large established healthcare player that you know, maybe aren't as obvious to those of us who don't do it every day? Yeah, well, there's there's really kind of coaching on both sides. So for a, a startup company, there's it. How can we connect them to the right place in the organization? You know where their solution can drive value. How do we provide coaching on how they may need to modify the product to fit the particular need and problem of that organization? Um, and while also making sure that they're capturing enough value from versus creating, you know, there've been a lot of mistakes where you'll do free pilots and things like that. And that can cause a lot of problems on both sides. Often the health plan or health system that is asking for free may not have the commitment. If you accept it, then if you're the startup company, there's the question of, well, you also need to sustain your business and keep running to cover costs. So there's just different tips and tricks related to that that come into play. And, and I'd say small tweaks on the model. And then on the, on the traditional incumbent side, there's the need of working with a startup. You need to think in a different way. And some of this gets down to legal and procurement as one example. Um, if you treat, you know, a growth business like you treat a large technology player, you know, the, an enterprise software company, you know, you can quickly get into negotiations and regulatory constraints and so forth that, you know, can take a year before you actually can get to market. So there's a need to rethink of how can you actually put appropriate measures in place that's at the right level of risk that is being taken. Um, so really managing both sides to make sure there's a good fit is a key key thing that we try to help out with. Yeah, right on. Well said. Like, we all have something to learn from the other side, but probably the biggest thing is the communication and understanding. You know, as we're yeah, a, oh, go ahead. Uh, another point comes to mind as you, uh, as we discussed non-traditional entrants, mm -hmm. um, a big part of the non-traditional entrant question is, okay, you know, will they fully disrupt incumbents businesses and so forth? I think a key, a key thing that you're seeing happen in the market and a key thing that we all need is this collaboration point. Mm -hmm. Typically, you're seeing a lot of collaborations with non-traditional entrants and traditional entrants bringing their different competencies together versus working against each other. That, I think, is what's critical. How do you leverage the strengths of those non-traditional entrants and complement them with the strengths of you know, those that are actually providing or financing care? And really those two together can create some really strong, powerful value for people. Yeah, well said that healthcare is big and complex and there's a long value chain. And yeah, we're, we're probably better served if the different parties, yeah, even if it can seem competitive at times, if we're looking for ways to collaborate and ultimately advance patient care and lower costs while we're doing it. Well, as we're coming to the end here, I want to ask just one final question because it's pretty much the end of the year at this point. I think this is the last one we'll record and we'll probably release it just after the new year. So any predictions for 2021 as far as healthcare and health innovation or anything you're really looking forward to other than the vaccine being widely distributed and all of us being able to get out of our house? Yeah, agree. Yeah, for you, you hit the first, the, the most important thing first of us um, 
being healthy as a society and being able to uh, get back and you know connect with each other again. Um, if, if you go to just broadly in the industry, I think it ties to how we started the conversation. I think it's the, we, we saw an acceleration of transformation. We saw amazing innovation where barriers dropped and people started working together to real out of necessity. I guess what makes me optimistic going into 2021 is I think we'll continue to see that momentum. We'll see the structural changes that need to happen that we've all learned from over the past year start to take hold um, and start to change. Now, this is big change that requires leadership, culture, and changes in structure. So the true you know, evolution will take time, um, but we're already seeing that change happen. Um, so I'm really optimistic that it will come together to ultimately you know, improve healthcare for people, both how it's financed and how it's delivered. It's a great place to end it on with optimism. Brian, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was a fantastic discussion. Yeah, no, thank you, Frank, and thank you, Medical Alley. So uh, appreciate the discussion. Heck yeah. And folks, that is that. Thank you for joining us today on another Medical Alley podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. You can find more information at medicalalley.org or at medicalalleypodcast.org. Have a great day.